Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specializes in equity capital market transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy, and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor, and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raises, please send them your details via an email to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention The Bip Show in your message. Now, on with the show. Hi now, you're listening to the all-new BIP Show Season 4. BIP is for business investing and policy. That is what we're here to talk about. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. Now, if uh, I've got my guest right, I'm pretty sure that you just heard the new theme music, which we should be somewhere between Magnum P.I., uh, <laughs> it's, a pretty special, uh, it's a pretty special theme music. It's basically Knight Rider meets Magnum P.I., Meets uh, all the all the Miami Vice, I think, might be in there too. It's sensational. So I hope you enjoy the new theme music. Um, that's the spec that I gave the producers, and uh, uh, they, they came back. I'm pretty sure they understood the assignment. So let me know what you think of that that brand new theme music that's there. A reminder also that all financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Uh, coincidentally, I am a professional advisor, um, and that's what I do. So my name is James Whelan, investment manager at VFS Group. Now, straight into it, we don't muck around here, putting the old expression, start how you plan to finish. We're pulling up uh, an old school crowd pleaser today, old friend of the show for a long time, 19 years of the industry, head of research, a broker, Pepperstone, old mate of mine, old mate of many peoples, one of the good guys of Aussie finance. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris <laughs> Weston, how are you now? Mate, I'm good. I'm good. I just got told by a mate that I look like James Corden, so I'm a little bit upset by that, but no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, life's life's pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. And you know, do you know what, James? I'm I'm honoured to be uh, to be to be invited on the show as as, in, as the first guest in the new format. So humbled is uh, is how I feel at the moment. Oh, good on you, mate. It's uh, I think that if I was going to put a vote out to go, who do we want? Uh, who do we want first up? You'd probably be winning that poll. Uh, I, don't, I don't even think that I'd be winning that poll. Just to, to be quite honest with you, mate. But that's a, that's not my job. But thank you. So just a note too. Uh, under under the way that we're doing this now, because we're going to get straight into it. Under the way that we're doing this now, um, the production quality um, is going to be. We're trying to maintain the production quality, except for the beautiful nineteen eighties music. But what it means that we can actually get this podcast out really fresh, like hot and fresh out the kitchen, and and get it to people. Which means that when we're going to talk about the big elephant in the room right now, which is the Ukrainian situation, it means that right now it is three thirty eight p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time on the twenty fourth of February two thousand and twenty two. This podcast might just be in ears within the next couple of hours, provided I can I can get around that sort of thing. And so that means now, first off, okay. So, so let's just get straight to it. Um, uh, so we can talk about 
the new format, like uh, like, like I said, so if there, if there's a if there is ever a time to be wrong and then right and then wrong again before breakfast, it is um, it's a whole financial market pretending to know exactly what is on the mind of Vladimir Putin. First off, to those people, I ask you to please cut it out because you're embarrassing us all. Now, I'm not keen to join the Gladys podcast detailing the history of Russia Ukraine, but we <laughs> we've got to touch on this one, Chris. Um, now, for reference, there's there's a few little bits and pieces. A really good Twitter account run by Gray Connolly gives you some really good history of the area. This isn't obviously a fresh thing that's going on, and, and he's he for mine has been a really good way of, of finding a source material for what the years, hundred, few hundred years of history over there, which is really important to know about. Once you've read it, it does help you making more light of the situation. Now, let's talk about the current thing because this is hot. Um, the only reason that I don't have the live stream up is because we are recording this right now. But it is it is like watching the Super Bowl, Chris. Mm. What's your take, mate? What's the trade? What are you What are you seeing right now? Well, I mean, I think there was a large element of the market um, who were just thinking, well, we're hoping that there were, th- this was going to stop at Donbass, right? And this was this wasn't going to go any further. And we're seeing headlines at the moment from Ukrainian. Uh, uh, well, we saw a, a Putin's interview earlier, and I think that was that set the market off a little bit. It sounded again very defiant as a, as a new Putin. That's what they. Everyone's saying, and then obviously you know, we've seen that right now Ukrainian border checkpoints are being attacked uh, by that's source IFX. Um, Ukrainian fleet apparently is almost destroyed as a result of preemptive missile strikes, and that's coming from Ozint for Ukraine. Uh, we've got Kiev apparently is being bombarded by ballistic missiles. So this is issue. There's a lot of people who, who, who just thought there was a very very low risk that Kiev was going to get targeted. Um, and from what we're seeing now is, is, is the new sources is that that the missiles are, are, are going into that into the big city there. So the market has just gone into um, into into all out risk aversion mode. You know, um, yeah, we can go into market moves, but I, I think yeah, there's been a large element of saying you know we, we thought this was going to be contained. Uh, Vladimir Putin's recognition of these two separatist states. You know, the, the playbook was in Georgia in 2008, and and obviously the Crimea. Once once we saw recognition of that. Um, then that actually marked a low point in, in the market cycle. So people are saying, well, actually, perhaps um, with Russian troops in these two states, perhaps it means that the Ukrainians are not going like, to fight back. doesn't seem a lot of use. Um, and I, I think people are just saying, well, we weren't expecting this. We, we weren't expecting the Russians to, 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 to perhaps go out of those two regions. People have hoped that that was going to be the case. Now that we are seeing clear signs that there's, there's an invasion going on um, and the market, as I say, is, is having to do a re- rethink. And of course, it break, breaks us down into the bear case scenario, doesn't it, James? And that is what is going to be the next retaliation. There has to be a retaliation now from from um, you know, the G7. There has to be a much more uh, increased um, sanctions being put in from the US. They've been fairly punitive at the moment. Obviously, we're watching what happens with Nord Stream 2. We're watching what happens with energy prices and all those factors. But yeah, we, it, you know, it's going to be a long night ahead of us watching what, what's going to be the retaliation now in terms of sanctions from from Europeans, from the UK, from from the US, and of course we're going to get a, a strongly worded letter from Scott Morrison as well. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to see that from our Prime Minister as well. Provided he's uh, he's got his vision back and he can actually write a letter, which we be very happy to. So the uh, if we go through each of the each of the areas now, let's let's sort of separate it because now that if, if this is going to be a fresh podcast, then we might actually have something that people can listen to, see how they're going to be trading over the next twenty four hours, over the next week. Um, thankfully, the weekend is tomorrow, which should give the markets a little bit of time to calm down. Mm. Let's talk about gas, the old widow maker. Not to be sexist, widow. You know, it's 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 uh, just an expression. I do apologise for that. But uh, what about gas gas prices? Well, I thought it was JGBs that was supposed to be the widow maker, wasn't it? <laughs> government ones, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think all parts of the markets caused their pain, didn't they? But the uh, 
Yeah, natural gas futures at the moment, um, you know, it's, it's going to be all lies on European natural gas, which is where everything is. I mean, obviously, we know everyone's been doing the rounds. We've, we've all become yeah, experts in how much uh, yeah, Russia is, is shipping off, whether it's palladium, whether it's wheat, you know, it's, whether it's, it's energy price, whether it's natural gas. So we're going to watch a European uh, natural gas when that comes out later. You'd imagine that's going to absolutely tear up today. U.S. natural gas, though, obviously less affected by that. That's up 4.2%. The whole energy sector's just absolutely gone for it. I mean, we've got front month um, U.S. crude up 4.7%. We've got yeah, Brent. Brent prices. Brent prices are now firmly, firmly above 100 bucks. They're one hundred and thirty-two. Yeah, so, you know, palladium's absolutely gone for it. You know, we know that Russia exports 50% of the world's palladium. Um, mm-hmm. 80% of that going into, into automakers as well. And Heath and I had a bit of a debate on on the chat rooms the other day about you know how 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 inflationary is that, and, and and Heath shut me down pretty quickly and said it's it's not a story. But uh, yeah, we've seen good business. <laughs> We've got a huge business there. I mean, cryptos. I mean, just 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 look at the markets. Cryptos getting taken down at the moment. But yeah, you go to going back to your point on energy. Um, this is this is ultimately the yeah. Obviously, there's a humanitarian as- aspect to that, and we, we we can never forget that situation because yeah, in terms of markets itself, then the the elephant in the room in this is 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 what happens to to energy prices um, and and the whole suite of them and and you, you've got to think that that Brent prices, if if this really continues to escalate. Which it looks like it's going to, then we could be seeing Brent prices up at, at 120. You know that, those those kind of levels, and we're just going to see inflation expectations moving higher. Um, and yeah, we're going to see this this really interesting conundrum where yeah, Europe clearly can't be raising rates anytime this year in this in this situation. This is going to this is going to cause um, yeah really big implications for the European banking sector, Italy and um, and and France would be massive lenders to to the Russians. And, and I think, you know, both of those countries are owed about 25 billion euros or even more. Some of the banks are owed substantial amounts of money by the Russians. And of course, you know, if, if, the, if the Europeans do put big sanctions on Russia as a result of this, you know, the European banks are not going to get any of their money back. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, you'll be watching the European banking sector as well. So there's, it's, it, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts. We know that this, the story really is about energy in the markets here. Um, but right now, James, you know, the, what do we do as traders, investors? We need, we need, we need certainty. We we, we price risk, yeah. and right now, you've got such little visibility in our in our understanding of what what the world looks like here that it's just there's no buyers in the market right now. It's just a buyer strike. Everyone's selling. Everyone's going into risk positions. Everyone's buying treasuries. Everyone's buying the Japanese yen, the Swiss franc. You know, you're putting curve flatteners on in fixed income. Gold's flying. This is just an all-out risk aversion move. There's no buyers and just markets are getting smashed because there's no buyers and loads of risk aversion buyers, uh, you know, moves there. Yeah, at least there is that orderly move into gold as as opposed to a few years ago when it was just there was no bid for anything, bonds, everything just got taken apart um, yeah. just physically because people weren't at their desks. So this is actually this actually has all the hallmarks of it being a nice orderly shift in a correction because – as I've been saying for the last few weeks, if if we weren't all looking at the Ukrainian thing, what thing would take all of our attention right now, Chris? Oh, it's one hundred percent. It's it's the inflation That's story, right. and, and and we'd be looking at you know we, we'd be doing this podcast, and we'd be saying, well, oh, God, when do we think boring, do we, wouldn't it? Well, we'd be sitting there going, <laughs> do, you know, do we think the RBA are going to raise rain, rates in June, which was what was being priced, and that's been pushed back a little bit today. We are seeing some some big buyers in, in the rates market in, in, in 30-day bank bills. And, you know, if you go into – we'll be talking about the 16th of, of March, which was the 17th for us here in, in Australia because, you know, there, there was, you know, at one stage nearly 
100% chance we were going to get a 50 basis point hike. I mean, it's come back down. It would probably be a 25 basis point hike. Yeah. Um, but that's what we'd be debating. We'd be debating the Bank of England on the 17th, you know, raising rates by 25 or 50 basis points. We'd be talking about what's going to be the next move for the RBNZ. And now we're looking at a world where it's like, well, we've got energy prices skyrocketing at the moment. We've got this geopolitical issue, which is clearly going to cause ripples across you know, various geographies, certainly in Europe. And, and you know, at a time when ra- central banks are raising rates, I mean, that, that to me sounds like quite a toxic mix. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not an ideal sort of area to, to be invested in, especially if, if – I've sort of reminded people of this one as well, is that if there were areas of the market that you sort of shouldn't have been in to begin with, this should really have pushed you over the edge as to whether you wanted to be invested in those particular things now anyway. Because Correct. even even in the risk off space, this was the risk off of the risk off. Exactly, and a bit. But I think you keep things simple, right? You don't fight the Fed. Now that mantra is something that that, that people live and die by. And you know, you, you've got this this very simple merge. Everyone's saying, well, if the Fed are going to start quantitative tightening and allow balance, passive balance sheet runoff in in June or July, what does that does that mean? That we just we, we come back in the risk scale anyway. So going on to your point. So yeah, of course, that's why we, that's why we, yeah, that's why cryptos come down and, and that's why we've moved into quality defensive areas of the equity market. You know, that's why we, 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 yeah, we hate <laughs> the AMCs, the GameStops. Yeah, we're happy to short those names. Arc Innovations getting absolutely taken down at the moment. It's getting smashed. Yeah, the and rightly so. And rightly so. People don't want to be in these areas. They did really well in the halcyon days of, 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 yeah, injections of, of liquidity into the market. Now we're withdrawing liquidity. The whole point is that you that you 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 lower asset prices in that. You raise the cost of capital, um, and so those areas, are, you know, for me as a trader, they're they they they've been fantastic shorts. You know, and bring on bring on Heath because he 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 loads loads well, short selling. <laughs> it's funny funny you mention that because I've actually just had someone just pop into the chat, just sort of stumble in, just parachuting like a Russian, like a Russian paratrooper here. <laughs> how, how, how is this? Uh, I've got sent this really suspicious link, so I clicked on it as you did, and uh, it's brought me in here, and it is quite sus, I think. That was a fishing, that was a fishing attempt, I think. Um, I'm going to introduce yeah. you. Thanks for dropping in. Uh, Heath Morris, head of, head of Trading, Investments, Investment Strategy, Research, whatever it is you want to have thrown in there at HLM Investments, live from Adelaide, I assume, or wherever yep, the heck it is yep. that, you've, that you've come in from. Mate, how's it going? How are you now? It's great. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. <laughs> No problem at all, mate. Just just stumbles into a podcast randomly and starts talking yeah. about this stuff. Now, I was I was about to um, thank you for joining us. Um, obviously, yeah, and and uh, Chris Weston here as well as uh, as you know. G'day, Westy. Mate, do you know it's it's a dream to be working with you today. To be honest, <laughs> so, do, you, do you guys want to tell you, you guys pick it up and I'll just have I'll just have the rest of the team. <laughs> So no, what I was reading, the feelings are mutual. The uh, what I was reading just here was um, the, this little thing that's been forwarded around a lot about why does Ukraine matter? And it was um, Evan Lucas also reposted it. G'day, Evan. A lot of people G'day, reposted Evan. it. Le- um, yeah, he's a, he's a legend. And it was it just talking about why does Ukraine matter? Now, there's nothing I like better than reading out a completely unsourced, unverifiable thing. But I don't I don't think that people really just understand exactly how big Ukraine actually is. Um, mm-hmm. in, in place, and I think a lot of people, you know, the old expression that war is war is God's way of teaching the U.S. population geography. Um, yep. I think that a lot of people are going to get out of all the uh, to all the U.S. people who used to be listening to this podcast as well. Uh, six of you now currently left. The um, the Ukraine ranks first in Europe in proven recoverable reserves of uranium, second in place in Europe, and tenth in place in the world of t- titanium ore. 
second in the world for manganese. 12% of the world's reserves of manganese are there. Second largest iron ore reserves in the world. Sounds dodgy. Second place in Europe in terms of mercury ore. Third in place. We've got... Don't even start me on agriculture because it's basically the food basket mm. of Europe as well. We, we sh- you should know that already. Fifth place in the world in bee, bee production. Fifth for bees. Sixteenth for cheese. I don't have anything else to end in ease, but that could have been funny. But, um, but look, it's, it's a pretty big place. This is pretty critical. Heath, um, I know that you've got your eye on some commodities and, and Chris did actually mention you coincidentally earlier on regarding yep. palladium, mate. What, uh, what's your play out of this? Yeah, look, I think you, the best way to focus on it is, is commodities, uh, especially, uh, like you said, uh, palladium, uh, the Ukraine, uh, sorry, Russia control um, 47% of the world's uh, palladium production. Um, obviously, that's really important in terms of the automotive sector for the cat- catalytic uh, converters, um, re- withdrawing those uh, those oxides, those dangerous chemicals out of your exhausts uh, before we, we pump uh, all the other stuff out into the air. Um, and of course, with the world um, uh, becoming ever greener and uh, really tightening those sorts of restrictions on emissions, then these things become extremely uh, important. Um, now, they also control 5% of the world's nickel production um, and 3% of the world's uh, uh, copper production. So um, with those markets as finely balanced as they are and, and supply is quite tight and um, it's believed about 80% of all uh, copper stockpiles are in China. So there's not really much for the rest of us out there and not really much uh, supply coming online, um, I think commodities, especially those three commodities, palladium, nickel and copper, uh, are the best uh, plays at the moment. Uh, I think any, obviously energy is the, the obvious one. but I'm going to jump in as well. Yeah, here, sure, go I, for I, it. I think you're missing um, our good friend. We, we all like a bit of bread, don't we? I mean, wheat's absolutely yep. flying today. Of course, and, and yes. So wheat's up 5.5%. It's the strongest. It's just a momentum dream. It's broken right up. You know, wheat is. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, commodities is the play, but wheat, wheat's the other big one as well. Wheat's smashing it now. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, but for me and my clients, I mean, I'm purely focused on the ASX and, and mm. equities, and so wheat is uh, is uh, we can't really get a play there much at all uh, outside of like maybe a grain corp or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, look, I mean, energy as well, obviously. But I think most of that is baked in and has been baked in for a while. Although we'll probably see a little bit more upside there. But um, yeah, for me, it's commodities and and not getting too cute. I mean, I'm already overweight. Uh, resources here in Australia um, and uh, just adding a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, would you, would you want to talk about a couple of the, the, the plays on the ASX that are uh, palladium-related? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, look, I mean, the first and big, the most obvious one is is Chalice Mines, CHN. They're around, uh, although they're off a little bit today, they're around 680 a share. They've got the massive, um, is it Jumalee? Uh, I think it's Jumalee Mine over in, well, not Mine Project in um, WA, uh, 26 kilometres of strike, uh, but they've only sort of really uh, tapped two kilometres of that. And they've got about 10 million ounces of platinum uh, group group elements there. So that includes platinum, palladium, um, and I think gold is is included in theirs. Uh, so that's uh, that's one play. Um, you actually do have a, an ETF as well listed on the ASX um, under the code. Let me just find it. I did have it on my screen. It's disappeared. Uh, ETP uh, M. PM, which is a precious metals uh, basket uh, put together by the ETF Securities Group, uh, holds gold, gold, silver, 
uh, platinum and palladium as well, and that's that's going nuts today. That's up about five percent today on the back of all this. Um, and then for, for the high risk folks, for the, the guys that like to dabble, uh, guys and girls that like to dabble in the high risk, and I really like uh, POD podium uh, resources again in WA have about two point eight million ounces of these platinum group elements. Um, um, a long way away from production, um, nowhere near as advanced as say Chalice, but uh, it's only about a hundred million uh, market cap, so very high risk, but could see some uh, large upside there. That POD, I was just checking out the chart at the moment. It's just going sideways, really. Why, why is it? Do, 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 do you know enough about the fund? Why is this not responding to the um, what we're seeing there with the palladium price? Well, no, none of the palladium stocks are really moving. I mean, they had a bit of a spike towards the end of last year and to start this year, and have sort of come off and consolidating now. Um, the the palladium price has, has also mirrored that. It did did touch about two nine two thousand nine hundred uh, an ounce, and is about. Uh, got as low as around two one two two is now now moving quite a bit today. It's up three percent today to about two thousand five hundred an ounce. I think um, sort of the lack of information around the sector, why it's so important, um, how much Russia controls, etc. That's not really really known all that much at the moment. But I dare say that will filter out as things go along. And if if palladium keeps on moving like it is, it will certainly catch the eye of people. And uh, Chalice is a fairly well known. Um, uh, palladium or platinum group elements um, explorer soon to be a miner, so I dare say that will catch the headlines soon, and they all they will all start moving if um, sanctions start coming in. Although with this sort of thing, you don't actually have to have sanctions actually place. It's just the threat or the possibility of sanctions can really get these metals moving, and then the equities uh, follow. Do you get by the rumor, sell the fact? You know, you could, you could, because we, we we're seeing that everyone's anticipating sanction, like hard sanctions, um, and you know, we're all front running that idea that they're that they're going to have to continue become actually doing something that that is actually going to hurt Moscow. Um, and just as I'm saying this right now, Moscow has just announced that they're going to ex- suspend all trading across all markets, uh, their exchange there. So they're, they're, it looks like you're not going to get a chance, Heath, to, uh, to trade Moscow, <laughs> to Russian stocks today. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I think I'm knee deep in Russian consumer cyclicals <laughs> as well. It's a real <laughs> oh, do, you, um, do, do we get a buy the rumour, sell the fact? You know, Palladium's going for it. You know, wheat price is going for it, as we say. All these kind of – these are all plays on, on Russia limiting supply. Um one reason or another, maybe Europe puts sanctions on them. Maybe Russia decides to to cut back and and you know feeding the world. What's the what's the risk then when when actually these sanctions come out um, further down the line that that we get a buy the rumor sell the fact? Look, I think um, uh, obviously uh, generally when there's confirmation, you see a bit of a, a bit of a sell off. But there's also the the risk that uh, none of these like palladium doesn't get sanctioned or trade uh, in terms of minerals don't get sanctioned simply because the lack of supply out there and it's going to mm-hmm. hurt the West and the rest of the world too much if we we sanction on palladium and copper and nickel and stuff like stuff like that. Speaking of which, uh, I'm just going to quote Zero Hedge. <laughs> And Zero Hedge at the, at the top of the week was accused of, well, at the end of last week, was accused of perpetuating misinformation. Um, so look, let's see how we go. If someone wants to question me on, on this Zero Hedge quote, then go ahead. China currently holds an estimated 84% of global copper, 70% of corn, 51% of wheat, 40% of soybeans, 26% of crude oil, and 22% of aluminium inventories. Uh, that's yep. quoting JP Morgan. So it's, uh, I'm, I think I'm fairly safe to quote Zero yeah, Hedge if they know their numbers on that one. <clears throat> that's where the real crux is sitting at the moment. 
on. It is. If you start to muck around with those things and you've got China and China is vaguely allied with Russia, that's where a situation really starts to kick in. Yeah, and if we want to uh, start decarbonising and really pushing that electric vehicles uh, mantra, uh, we, we especially copper, we, we really, really need uh, the, the copper um, uh, production to start lifting and, and we've just got no new supply coming online. A few of the major mines uh, that are out there are lifting production a little bit, but head grades are falling away. It's becoming more costly to get it out. Mm. So that, that supply, more than anything, is critical, I think, and... Um, could you know put a handbrake on any sort of talk of sanctioning Russia in those terms? Yeah, and so let's just sort of switch away now. Does this, and this is going to be a little bit more controversial, but is there the potential that that full inactivity from from the rest of the world on Russia, if if it's not seen as being like a full out and out shutdown or even boots on the ground from the US in in defence of this? Does this give China, because just staying with China, does this give China maybe a little bit of coverage or a little bit of, might embolden them to take a little bit harder action on the Taiwanese situation? Look, I think I think that's what the market maybe is pricing in a little bit now, that there's that very small chance, you know, China uses this as a bit of a, uh, a facade or a, a smokescreen to, you know, ramp up their tensions with, with Taiwan. Um I think it's a real possibility. I mean, it's a small chance, but I think uh, that's what the markets are sort of thinking at the moment because overall I think economically the the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine really doesn't have huge impacts outside of energy and a few commodities like we've spoken about. Um, but if China were to start uh, putting some troops or flying over Taiwan a little bit more regularly, then that has a lot larger ramifications yeah. Globally, it does, and the play obviously on that. If there's any activity in Taiwan, as much as we hate to see it, you know, always with the caveat on that one. But semiconductors, I mean, that's that's a big chunk of the semiconductor manufacturer of the planet. Regardless of global growth is slowing or not, if you start to muck around with with already fragile semiconductor supplying around the world, you will get a spike in semis prices. So eyes on the semiconductor space um, for anything that happens in Taiwan as well. Now, yep. Nick. Yeah, go on, go on, Heath. I was just going to say, you've already seen uh, like ta- Taiwan uh, Semiconductor Company start to diversify away from Taiwan and China and and have setting up a, a plant in, in the US as well. So um, I think they're, they're very aware and very wary of the risk moving forward of, of China trying to grab control of Taiwan um, and, and that, semi, that massive semiconductor space over there. Yeah, now the... Uh, moving on from that, now we mentioned before, just before you dropped in, Heath, that the coverage, actually, now I'm going to ask you a separate way. Does this conflict, Ukraine-Russia, provide enough coverage for the Fed to not be frontline news for now for them to be able to get their messaging clear or for people to sort of not be as panicked about it as they were a couple of weeks ago, if you know what I'm saying on this one? I think it does for the immediate term as we're speaking now but that fed meeting how long away is that about two weeks three weeks west usually Um, tells me when meetings are yeah yeah 16th of march 17th of march so we're talking three weeks away that's that's a long time in markets um so i i would expect that um uh, that uh, the eu and the us will 
really pressure Russia to come to the table for some sort of peace talks in that time so things don't escalate too much. Um, and I think the focus will come back to the Fed. Again, I think this uh, this sell-off on the markets uh, is using the Russia-Ukraine situation as a bit of a smokescreen for inflation mm. um, and for rates and for the, you know, the downgrading and repricing of risk assets, especially in the tech sector over in the US. Um, I think that has much to do about that than it does the actual conflict itself. So, um, yes, look, I think uh, for the immediate term, it, the Fed's going to be loving it and the, the focus has totally moved away from them. Um, and, and it probably, you know, decreases the chance of, uh, we've seen that in um, some of the pricing of a 50 basis point move in March as well. I think it will be just 25 basis points for now and uh, they'll go again uh, yeah. the next meeting. I'm with, I'm with you. I, I think... That, yeah, I mean, we've seen Lael Branyard and, and a number of Fed, Fed officials, you know, walking back markets' expectations for 50. Yeah. Uh, I, I think 50 would have been, maybe could have got some credibility back from, you know, they've, they've made the, it's, it's mad, isn't it? There's, you've got 7.5% inflation in the US, you've got full employment, and, yeah, they're still buying bonds and still stimulating. It's crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I think for, for me, the next payrolls number comes up on the 5th of March. Um, yeah, there, there should be some pretty good numbers there coming through. We should see our employment rate tick down to three point nine percent again. You should see something like four hundred thousand jobs coming through. You should see yeah, average hourly earnings somewhere around sort of. Uh, I haven't got a consensus at the moment, but they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're they're pretty high at the moment. So that's going to be something. I think it's the wage data that you want to look at. And then on the eleventh of, of of March is the big one. Of course, you get the next CPI print, and and that will be the solidifier. So that that will be, yeah, that will. It should be around seven and a half percent, around that kind of level, and, and you know that should be the game clincher. So I think, regardless of what's happening in 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 Ukraine and Russia and and, and these tensions that are causing asset markets to move around pretty pretty aggressively, I, yeah, I think the Fed will be looking at what's happening in their own domestic markets, and they'll they'll go. Yeah, you, know, you hear a lot of school of thought that what we're seeing now will will deter the Fed from from raising rates. I mean, I, I think I disagree, and I think once we get the uh, the wage data and once we get the CPI number, I think it'll be a done deal. Am I right in saying that the uh, the uh, the base data in April will start to see inflation data cool a bit because it's a much higher base that they're reading from on a comparative basis? So a peak right. effect. Yeah, yeah. In 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 the, in the world of macro, Heath, um, this is the big debate, isn't it? I mean, this is this is the big debate. So, is is inflation going to stay? at 7% for, for longer periods of time? Or do we see the base effects kicking in and all these other factors playing through? Supply chains um, sh- have started to show some signs of easing. Um, if you yep. look in the ISM manufacturing numbers and, this, and, and the ISM service numbers, there are some signs that the, the delivery um, aspects are, are, are showing signs that they may uh, open up a little bit. Um, but they're not going to open up to the point where it's just going to, you know, we're going to see an absolute collapse. But I think the consensus is, is that we should see inflation peak out in, in you know, either at this, this coming reading or the maybe the March, maybe maybe as late as April, and then it should gravitate down to about 3% by year end. That's the, the sort of wide consensus. Of course, there's different schools about that. Um, and I think forecasting is very difficult. But, uh, yeah, that, that's generally where, where we are. So, yeah, obviously raising rates will, will accelerate that inflation down there. But, yeah, the, the concern for the equity market and, and risk assets more broadly is you've got this geopolitical issue coming through. The Fed are going to potentially raise four, uh, five, five, six times, and we can debate how many times, but that's, that's what's being priced in at the moment. But, you know, it, it's mostly a supply issue. It's not a demand issue. So calling demand 
into a slowing economy when geopolitical issues are going on, when risk assets are under pressure. I mean, this 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 is the sort of conundrum that we're facing in macro at the moment, right? Yeah, and I've I've said it for a little while. We've swung too far the other way, whereas we were it was all transitory. It was zero percent, you know, zero, rates are at zero forever a little while ago. Now it's going too far the other way, where you know all of this inflation is sustainable, and you know rates are only going you know are going going to moon, um, where it's obviously somewhere somewhere in the middle. And even if you know the core inflation in the US sits around three percent, I mean that's a hell of a lot higher than what we've experienced over the last 10 years but it's it's sustainable and it, and it doesn't hurt the uh, the consumer too much i think um oil and energy are acting as much of a, a as a rate hike at the moment yeah um than anything else and, and hurts the consumer and cools the demand a little bit because you know that extra 20 or 30 bucks a week they've got to spend on you know gasoline and, and energy you know comes out of the household budget yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and we are. It's going to take us a while until we see. I've got a little sneaky feeling that we might be at peak inflation, and but mm. the time that it will take for us to see that is actually some time away, because it's always backwards looking the data, and then you actually need another one or two months to actually to prove that you're at a peak, and then another one or two months to actually look backwards and see that peak. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, we're, we're we're still a long way until we uh, until we're out of the woods, Pedro de Costa, um, with a tweet here quoting JP Morgan. We do not expect the conflict to give the Fed reason for pause and it's expected to yeah. embark on a tightening cycle where we look for moves at each of the next nine meetings. Thank you, JP Morgan. Just exactly <laughs> as as Putin is speaking and saying we're, 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 I've, I've approved military action, JP Morgan drops that bomb. Um, nine consecutive hikes, yeah. The masters of timing just when you didn't want anything else coming up on the news feed. Fantastic. Well, Thanks very much. I think there's so many other aspects that you can throw in this. Of course, you know, later later in, in the year, in November, um, we've got the the midterms, of course. And uh, I think, yeah, if that's not going to be a US dollar negative, then crikey, you know, I think the market's already expecting it to be a massive US dollar negative because we're going to see gridlock effectively in Congress. Hmm. And, of course, we uh, just basically opens up the door further down the line for, for Trump to to be reappointed as president at some stage. You know, mm. this this whole imagine we had Trump as president of the United States in this situation. It would be a an interesting time uh, to to look at this. But um, yeah, look, I mean, the biggest thing here is that we've got midterms in November, and you know, uh, inflation is is arguably the biggest um, political beast now. So the Fed are a hundred percent politicised in this issue. Um, yeah, they're getting so much heat from from both parties to call inflation. Um, as you say, there it is the biggest handbrake to the consumer. Do we get a release of the uh, another release of, of uh, you know um, of SPR drawing rights? Effectively, are we going to see more um, they were, oil? They, but- they did announce that they were looking at a release today. Yeah, they're talking weird. about it today. So, yeah. so, so for a government that's been warning about imminent action, they have not been stockpiling their strategic petroleum reserves. That sounds well, look- very strange. Well, considering as uh, well, I think oil's up what fifty percent since the last since the last time <laughs> they released um, oil in there. Well, actually, do you know what's interesting is we've got an OPEC meeting next week, oh. and uh, you know they're, they're expected to increase <laughs> by their by their set four hundred thousand barrels. Um, but given that we've now got Brent crude above a hundred bucks, and it's yeah, basically the rate of change is accelerating to the upside, and we're talking about velocity and all these factors. Um, 
you know, this, this is an interesting dynamic in itself is what's happening in OPEG. I mean, they're clearly going to be pretty happy with the price being where it is at the moment. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the forward curve is, is ridiculously backwardated. I mean, it's showing incredible shortages in the, in, in the crude complex at the moment. Um, they have scope to there would definitely be people in OPEC saying, well, let's get more, let's get more production going on. Let's take some, take some share from, uh, from, from the, uh, you know, the shale gas guys out of the U S at the moment. Um, do they, do they increase production by more than 400,000 to try and call the oil price? I mean, that, that could be an interesting one to look at. Well, that, that's, yeah, go on. And then I'm going to have to. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, don't they have, um, again, some, uh, the bases that they're reading from, don't they rise in April or May, um, to help satisfy, I've forgotten what country. UAE, it was at the end of the recent. Yeah. And it's going to add about 1.5 million barrels per day, um, just based on that. I thought they were upping the reset. They were upping the reset level over a straight line period or something for months, wasn't it? But that that, that could be completely wrong. Yeah, I, I, I don't okay. know, but yeah. Um, but, um, look, yeah. I'm going to make sure we get paid and then sign mm-hmm. off. Um, so I'll, I'll be right back to you guys. Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specialises in equity capital markets transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily mining, energy and tech. Sophisticated investors who want to hear about Bridge Street's upcoming capital raises can send their details to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au. Thank you very much, guys. Last chance to say anything if you want to uh, to say it now. Chris Weston of Pepperstone. Biden to speak at noon US time tonight. Going to be one to watch, definitely. <laughs> but you know what? We love a we love a bit of volatility. I mean, we don't like we don't like the reasons why it's caused, obviously. Um, and uh, Heath, it gives you a good chance to put some shorts on at the moment. He <laughs> <laughs> looks good yeah, in shorts. Short sellers, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Heath Moss, HLM Investments. No worries, and and just uh, historically, these these times have uh, provided great great times to buy the dip um uh, invasions and and wars etc as bad as they are um generally are pretty good opportunities in the longer term for uh, for your investment portfolios your equities portfolios so keep that in mind uh, whilst you know the xjo's now closed down three percent for the day oh great yeah. get Just your shopping list ready get your yeah, sh- get, get start, start to quality shop. businesses on the uh, on the list uh, i've still got underlying it everything that i've got in mind not that you know not for nothing value is still good quality is still good food is fantastic i'm getting out of i hate to say it, getting out of google and z scaler tonight they've been a part of the portfolio for two years uh and i'm going to be buying more silver uh and it's it's just yeah the shopping list at certain big dips of, of when you ask that question has the only thing that's changed with this particular ETF or stock, if the only thing has changed that the price has changed and nothing else has really underscored it, does conflict in the US really matter to this stock? If the answer is no, will raising rates affect this stock negatively? If that answer is no as well, then it might have be a really good chance to buy. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter. It's at the underscore Bip underscore show. And we're on Facebook too. Just search The Bip Show. Uh, check out my website, which is where I put all this junk. Google Wheel and Capital. Follow the links to The Bip Show. Um, and I put all the documents in there and uh, the trades that was there. Individually on Twitter, at Chris Weston underscore PS. Um, Heath, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at HeathMoss83. And I am at James Whelan 42. The 42 is not because I'm old. It's because I'm the answer. Uh, thank you both, guys, uh, for 
being around and I'll talk to you in a bit. This show is produced by Drunken Monkeys and we'll catch you next time. Uh, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks, guys. Cheers, sir.